You ever heard the accusation or the saying that so-and-so, he, she, they're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good? That is a false dichotomy. We, we, there's no way to be truly so helpful, heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Now, some of us in our various forms of Christianity or eschatology or things like that can have philosophies developed to where we, we, we sort of cloister and give absolutely no attention to things around us, our neighbors, the world, and, and, and are not on mission, and, and, and that can be sort of true. But we're not being heavenly minded when we do that. We're, we're, we're dishonoring God. See, the real danger for the saint is not to be heavenly minded at all. That, that's the real danger. That's what we watch out for is, is because life is very deceptive at just getting us to focus on the here and now, on the trouble, on, on, on the responsibilities, on all of the things that pull at us. So it pulls our hearts and our minds down to ourselves and our circumstances and our situation. And it makes us so earthly minded that we are not no heavenly good. That's the danger for us, is to be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. So I wanted today to lift our heads. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, what is a proper uh, attack on fear with the gospel and grace? What is a proper fear of God that we should embrace? You know, we, we, honoring the magistrate, all of these things, you know, we've been rightly talking about the struggle that we're going through. But today I wanted to lift our heads to Christ and to the throne and to heaven and, and encourage us with these heavenly realities to try to give us a sort of a recalibration. Where should our primary focus be as we walk through these trials? So I want to lift your heads today. We're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Uh, we're going to seek to be refreshed and encouraged by who we are in Christ. We're going to seek to have a reboot you know what it is when we reboot the computer or we reboot our phones, we reset things, we recalibrate. We want to recalibrate on who Christ is for us and who we are in Christ. And we're going to do that from the little book of Colossians. If you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to read it. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 and, and see that, that uh, primarily we are to have a heavenly mindset. But see, Paul is writing to believers in, in Colossae. Coloss the Colossian church was, was founded through the ministry of Paul, but it was an overflow probably of the ministry in Ephesus and Epaphras. Uh, but the gospel had come to Colossae. A church has been born in Colossae, and you know that when that happens, attacks are going to come against that church. So this, this little church in Colossae and these people in Colossae are surrounded by false religion. They're surrounded by false teachers and they're actually teachers in Colossae presenting themselves as faithful to God, maybe even as Christians. You know, the devil masquerades as an angel of light and so do his servants masquerade as messengers of light. And there's a form of false religion that if you read through the, the, the book of Colossians, you'll be able to get some of the elements of it, but the bottom line of it is it is not rooted and grounded in Christ. It is not according to Christ. It is earthly and fleshly and legalistic 
and has Jewish elements. There's a lot of things going on, but basically there's false teaching in this pluralistic society that Colossae is a part of. There are false teachers that the church is to beware of. And what Paul does to counteract that is show the superiority of Christ. So I would encourage you again to come back and read the gospel uh, in Colossae and in, in the book of Colossians. And you'll see a familiar pattern as you read the book and the first sort of uh, two chapters where Paul is, is seeking to root and ground and remind the believers what's happened to them, who they are in Christ. He's seeking to, to warn them of the danger of false religion that surrounds them and the particular elements that are there in their context. He's warning them like he does in a lot of other places against false teachers. And what he does here, and what his primary message in Colossians is the superiority of Christ and the riches that are ours in Him. In other words, who is Christ and who are we in Him? That's primarily what we all need to know. So he wants to, these believers to be secure in who they are in Christ. And he knows that the outflow of that security in Christ will be a life joyfully, growingly lived for Christ. So today again, it's verses 1 to 4 in chapter 3. We're sort of dropping down into the middle of the book. I hope that sets it in somewhat of a context for you and encourage you to go back and read the entire book. You can read this whole letter in 10, 10 15 minutes, even reading it thoughtfully. So encourage you to do that. But the title is A Resurrection Mindset. A Resurrection Mindset. And that's what Paul is, is commanding by the Holy Spirit. We know this is the Word of God commanding the believers to have a resurrection mindset so that they have a resurrection life or a true Christian life, a Christ superior life. All true living for Christ starts with true thinking in Christ. And so Paul is shaping the mind. And yes, as you read on in chapters 3 and 4, you'll see like many of the other places in Scripture, there begins to be this application of the gospel. How should that shape me as I seek to submit to authority and rules for Christian households and further instructions and prayer and many other things? So that, that's what you'll see as you move on in the epistle. First, you know, we, we say... Uh, the indicative and then the imperative, the truth of the gospel and who Christ is and who we are in Him, and then the imperative or commands of how we should live in Him. And this, this section of text is, think of it as the hinge of the book. This is where the book turns, turns from that fundamental foundational information in the first two chapters to the application of the gospel in chapters 3 and 4. As we look in verses 1 to 4 in chapter 3, what I want us to come away with this morning is this main idea. Joyful living for Christ is only found in being heavenly minded. Joyful living for Christ starts in, the, we, we want to say, the heart. Biblically, there's no difference in the heart and the mind, right? Joyful living for Christ is found only by being heavenly minded. So we... It, Changes in, in our thought life first before our actions change. Focusing primarily on Christ and the riches that are ours in Him. And that is commanded. And you'll see that in, in this text. 
But look first, the duty, and I, and I changed the outline a little bit. I just added one word. But the duty of a daily resurrection mindset. I think the slide says a, the duty of a resurrection mindset. But I wanted to bring out this continual aspect of these commands. The duty of a daily resurrection mindset. And you, if you know Christ... If you are, what do you mean? If you are trusting in Christ, then this is, yes, it's a joyful duty. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful duty. It's a duty that is spirit-filled and empowered as he brings us to Christ through the gospel and grows us in Christ. But this is a duty for us to be primarily rested and thinking about and operating from the stance of a, re a resurrection mindset. So look at, look at with me in verses 1 and 2. You'll see in your Bibles it starts with the little word if. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I'll stop right there for now. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. He's already told them that they've been raised with Christ. This is what's called a first class condition. The first part is assumed true. So that we do the second part, right? If then, or you may say, see in some of your translations, since then. If you look back in first, verse 12 of chapter 2, and I, I read that, it says, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. Raised with Him. Union with Christ. A work of the Spirit in us and a rich thing to study in and of itself and sort of what we're talking about, our embracing our union, our being united to Christ through faith by the work of the Spirit, bringing us from death to life in the context of the gospel so that we come to life and the fruit of that regeneration is repentance and faith where we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you've been united to it with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, Romans chapter 6. So since you have been raised with Him, if you haven't been raised with Him, you don't know Him. But if you do know Him, you may not have been consciously aware of the fact that you were raised with Him. You're in union with Him. You're, you're empowered by the same power that raised Him from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit. You have many riches in Christ that you may not be aware of most of them. So maybe this will help us this morning and lift our eyes to who we are in Jesus. Since you have been raised with Christ, you've been raised to newness of life, Romans chapter 6 says. You've been given a new life. You are a, if, you're, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ, even though you don't feel it. And I guarantee you most of the time, you don't feel it. Even though your faith is imperfect, if your faith is in Christ, you are raised with Him. You've been united to Him. You, you've been empowered by Him. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that brings responsibilities with it. Wow, we could take just that concept and, and, and speak so long on it. Since you've been raised with Christ. Now look at your responsibility since we're thinking about this duty to have a resurrection mindset. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek. Stop. Seek. That is a present imperative or a present command there that's a continual repeated action that's not a one-time thing where we sort of say lord give me a resurrection mindset and we move on this is a continual abiding 
consciously in Christ, a continual remembering of who He is and who we are, a continual focusing on Him because He's going to define what He means as we move on. But first of all, this, this, the, the New English translation, the Net Bible, they have really good notes in the Net Bible. I encourage you to use it. says and bring, tries to bring this out a little bit. Keep seeking. Since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Be heavenly minded. It's a command. Be continually heavenly minded. There's no chance of you being too heavenly minded. Really heavenly minded, there's no chance of you being no earthly good. Now we're not perfectly heavenly minded or perfectly good for Christ in His kingdom because we're not glorified, but He's able to use our weak vessels to accomplish much for His cause because the Spirit is at work in us to redirect our gaze to Christ, to seek and continue seeking and not stop seeking, to refocus and, and to strive for, to, to have our basic mindset changed. And that, that's what I'll, I'll talk more about. Seek the things above. See, our responsibility, he, 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 he gives two commands in this text in verses 1 and 2. They're really the same thing, set, set a little different way. But he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But the second command is set your minds on things that are above and not on the things of the earth. So we're to seek and we're to set our minds. That's why I use the word mindset. That's our, our fundamental, you know, driving beliefs and thoughts are our mindset. It's what shapes the way we interpret reality and how we live in reality. It's what our, our mindset is. And our mindset is a God-centered mindset if we're a Christian. It's a Christ-centered mindset. It's a focused on Christ and who He is for us and who we are in Him and resting in Him. But our responsibility is to seek and keep seeking things that are above. To set our minds on and keep setting our minds on. This where you see set your minds or in the first part of verse 2, that's another present active command. It's a continual thing. We're to be continually seeking and continually setting our minds on heavenly realities. We're to always be heavenly minded if you want to put it that way. Keep thinking, keep seeking this way, the things that are above. If you look back in verse 1, he just says things that are above, and then he amplifies that in verse 1. So we're to keep seeking the things that are above, comma, apposition, explaining more where Christ is. We're to be constantly looking to Christ and focused on Christ and rested and grounded in Christ. Not that we don't think about other things. Remember, this is our fundamental mindset that we're to walk with. Is a Christ-centered, gospel-believing, word-loving mindset. Where Christ is. And he says, that he, that, look, there's another comma. Seated at the right hand of God. So these things above, these things that we're to grasp and hold on to is that Christ, our Savior, our King, our prophet, priest, and King, as our priest and as our King and even as our prophet is seated 
in the heavenly places. We'll talk about where he's seated in a minute. But he's seated. He sat down. That's important. He wasn't tired. And so he sat down. There's a reason he sat down. And it's a reason we need to be fundamentally aware of. And I want to point you to Hebrews. If you haven't read Hebrews in a while, please read that, especially as you're reading through the Old Testament. Hebrews and Romans will keep you from vast errors as you read the Old Testament. Hebrews 2 is establishing the preeminency of Christ. And in this context of the scripture I'm going to read, the preeminency of His priesthood. See, when Hebrews was written, the temple's still standing. That's all still going on. And, and the author of Hebrews, which I think is Paul, through the pen of Luke, if you want to know what I think about that, is comparing the type and shadow of the Old Covenant priesthood to the reality which is Christ and the priesthood to which all that pointed. But look at this in Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. Every priest stands daily. See, the priest in the temple, they didn't sit down. Why? The work was never finished. It was a daily thing, an ongoing thing. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Watch this, which can never take away sins. Those Old Covenant, Old Testament sacrifices, those bulls and goats and things, that, that blood that was shed in and of themselves, they could never take away sin. They were never intended to. They covered and pointed to the true Lamb of God who would come. John called the Lamb of God, Jesus the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles too. A people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. See, those Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sin, but they functioned, they proclaimed the gospel, and they functioned the way God wanted them to function in their setting, which would find its fulfillment in the Messiah who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, which the author of Hebrews is going to bring out now. So those priests, they never sit down. They stand all day. They are offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, and which by this point, when Hebrews is written, that had already been done away with because it's fulfilled, but it was still sort of functioning until it was destroyed. But when Christ, now watch this, <clears throat> Christ, the true priest and the true lamb, the true sacrifice, the true totality of everything that all that in the old covenant pictured. But when Christ had offered, watch this, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. One sacrifice, work done, it is finished, he sat down. But he didn't just sit down at the foot of the cross. He didn't just sit down anywhere on earth. He sat down at the right hand of God. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now watch this. After he offered a single sacrifice, he sat down waiting from that time. This might impact your eschatology. <laughs> waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. We know the last enemy, 1 Corinthians, is death. Can't go there. Now watch this. What does that mean for me, for the Christian, for the one who is trusting in Jesus by God's grace? Maybe I don't know much more than that, but I've heard the gospel and I've come to Christ and I'm hoping in Him. I'm still a little shaky, but I'm hoping in Jesus. Watch this. What did our priest, our high priest do? The, the Lord Jesus Christ. For by a single offering, you could say of Himself, as the true Lamb of God, who, who, is the, who is the perfect sacrifice made for sin. For by a single offering, He has 
perfected. Perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified. Those who are coming to faith and being grown in grace by God. God is at work in them through His grace. Their position before His throne is perfect because the Lamb of God has sacrificed Himself and been sacrificed for their sin. Christ offering on the cross. He took the penalty we deserve. The wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual. Loss of physical life and wrath forever because we could never satisfy that debt. A just and righteous and holy thing. Christ offered as the God-man Himself as the Lamb of God. And His sacrifice was thorough and perfect and complete and accepted. He was raised from the grave proving it's all true. And the outflow of His sacrifice is that He has perfected His people forever. So your, your position before the throne of God as you struggle with doubt and assurance and various things in your life on this earth is one of perfection in Christ. You've been brought to faith in Christ. You've been declared righteous on the basis of Christ. You're being grown in grace by the Spirit applying the Word to you. What does that mean? You're being made more like Christ. And that process will be finished, we've seen. But it's not for me to work my way to heaven. It's not for me. You know, Christ did all He can do and now i got to do the rest. Anything I have to do, I pollute. All my righteousness is filthy rags, Isaiah says. Yours too, by the way. Legalist, he will never accept you on the basis of what you do. Not one iota of your salvation will be based on you. You will have it as a free gift or you won't have it. May you be humbled by his law to see that you have broken every command in thought, word, and deed so that you'll from your knees be in a position to receive the mercy of God that is available in Christ and turn and trust in Him and then know that you have been perfected forever. Well, let's go back to Colossians and here we've seen it in Hebrews in both places and not the only places where it says in verse 1, He sat down. He didn't sit down just anywhere. He sat down at what the Scripture calls the right hand of God. Knowing that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God, this doesn't mean that He's less than God and sitting beside God. It means that He is God and He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning above every other rule and reign. Ephesians, if you go read Ephesians, you'll see in verse 21 that Paul says it a little different there. And he doesn't, he says that it's far. Christ sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Great commission. He has received all authority in heaven and earth. He is on the throne reigning for His church to see His gospel go to the ends of the earth. You need to know all the time this needs to be part of your fundamental mindset that you have been raised with Christ and your Savior has perfected you forever and He sat down because the work is finished. He said that from the cross and He is reigning now. We're not waiting for Jesus to reign. <clears throat> He's reigning now and taking His gospel to the ends of the earth. And He is above all other rule and authority and power and dominion. 
every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess the truth that Jesus is Lord. Kyrios. Used to translate the divine name. Your king. You have been united to your king. You've been raised with your king. You've been seated with your king. I mean, Ephesians talks about us being trophies of his grace. If you read in Ephesians 2. That is your position in Christ, child of God. No failure is mentioned. No imperfection is mentioned. In this verse, our mindset is a victorious mindset because our Savior, not because we're victorious, it's because our Savior is victorious for us. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, then you need to be continually seeking, continually thinking about, continually focused on the reality that your king has come and has saved you, that he is seated on the throne ruling and reigning now, that he sat down because the work of redemption was finished. Redemption accomplished, now being applied by the Holy Spirit. And He's far above all rule and authority. See, that's where our minds, verse 2, are to be set. That's where we are to never forget. Where we're always to be focused on Jesus. We're always to be heavenly minded. Remember, this is our fundamental mindset. It doesn't mean we never think about other things, but every time we think about other things, they're in the context of these realities. I mean, we're not looking to the circumstances of our life to determine whether or not this is true. Because we all suffer in a lot of ways. Even Christians are going to suffer some of the common miseries that unbelievers suffer. We may not always understand them. Look, read Job. But the things that matter, the big things, the meta-narrative, the big picture that Christ has accomplished redemption for His people which is being applied and that work will be finished, that He is seated in the heavenly places and He's been raised from the dead. That's the proof of the gospel that's given in Scripture. And that we are seated in the heavenlies in Him. Using that language, talk about our salvation as, as complete and done and sure. So he says this, set your minds, be continually thinking about this, be continually seeking, striving to have this be your fundamental mindset, a resurrection mindset because Christ has been raised and you were raised with Him and it guarantees your resurrection when He returns. It guarantees that you have eternal life and you are a new creature in Christ. I'm seeking to encourage those who are trusting in Jesus this morning. Look, look how he finishes verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. What does that mean? Christ and all that He is and all that you are in Him. Not on things that are on the earth. See, my fundamental mindset is not to be here. It's not to be in who I am just as a physical creature in the image of God, as a husband, a father, a worker, a marine, or whatever. My, this is not my fundamental mindset or my fundamental mission. Don't be continually sinking to think fundamentally here. Don't be setting your minds here. I mean, do you see that in the text? Set your minds there. Set your minds in Jesus. Set your thoughts in Jesus. 
Again, it doesn't mean you never think about anything else, but this is your fundamental reality, not on the earth. So set your minds on the things that are above, on the realities that are yours in Christ, and not on the things that are on the earth. Now, we've seen the duty. He's commanded us to be Christ-centered in our mindset, in our thinking, in our acting, in our life. And that's a command. It's not a suggestion. These days, a lot of Christians are allergic to commands. You only have a justification Christianity and not a sanctification Christianity. You need to be a not, you, we need a vaccine for that. We have one. It's called the gospel. Rightly understood and applied. Look at verse 3. Now let's look at the, the basis of this resurrection mindset. Look at this. For you have died. There's no need to you, for you to walk around afraid of all the people and all the things that might kill you because you've already died. We're dead people walking. More alive than we've ever been. But death has been defeated for us. We died, remember, the union with Christ in everything that He is and all that He's accomplished for us. We, we died with Him. We were united to Him in His death as well as His resurrection. You must embrace this. Knowing who we are shapes what we think and flowing out of that what we do. We must know who we are in order to do with joy what we should do. I mean, think, just as simple as being a parent. That identification of parent, if you're thinking rightly and seeking to honor God, will change the way you act. You'll no longer live like a single person. You'll no longer prioritize, I mean, being married. You'll no longer prioritize your friends, but your spouse and your children. But that, all of that is not to be your fundamental mindset. That's in Christ and seeking to do that in a way that honors Him. But Paul says, listen, you have died. We've already talked about that. Go back to chapter 2 and he'll, he said that. You died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. But he said you died, but you died in a different way than before you were saved. You're dead in a different way than before you came to Christ. Before you were saved, before we use that language, and we need to be careful how we use the word saved. It's used in a lot of different ways in Scripture. But before you came to Christ, you were dead then also. Dead in trespasses and sins, dead to God. You were alive to sin and the things of the world and dead to God. And coming to faith now, you are dead to sin and its reign and alive to God. You're alive to Christ. Romans 6.11 says you must believe this. If you're going to grow in grace, you must believe that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Go read it. Not now. Just write it down. Remember it. I'm not lying about it. That's what it says. You have died. Face it. You're, you, you have died in Christ to Satan's rule. We don't like to think about that, but before we came to Christ, we were following the prince of the power of the air. Go read the first part of Ephesians 2. I don't have time for that. You're dead to sin's power. Its reign is what I mean by that. Not its, you know, we're dying to its power in practice, but we're dead to its reign. It no longer reigns over us in Christ. We cannot use our flesh as an excuse. 
some of us still do. You're dead to fleshly dominion and you're dead to the reign of sin because you're in His grace. Go read Romans 6. I don't have time. You're dead to the law's condemnation if you're in Christ. There's no condemnation for the one who's in Christ Jesus. Why? You've died. You died with Christ. He paid for your sin in His death. And you've been raised to a new way, to a new way of life which begins with a new way of thinking. That's where all of our actions come from the heart. Scripture, you know, we think mind and heart. It's not a biblical way to think. The core of your being, mind and heart, who you are. You died to your sinful record. We've already seen that. Everything, every sin, if you're trusting in Christ, every sin you ever committed was nailed to the cross with Him. He knew, who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We have His righteousness through faith. Believer, you have His righteousness through faith. Look, you died. You died to sin. You died to the world. You died to self. You died to fill in the blank. But you lived to Christ because you were raised with Him and you are hidden in Him. You are secure in Him. Look, look at how this speaks. You died and your life is hidden with Christ. You're all tied up in Christ now. You're in union with Christ. You are seated with Christ. Everything He is, you're, He is and we are in Him. Forgiven, cleansed, empowered, clothed in His righteousness. New hearts, new creation. I mean, there's so much Scripture to bring in. But look, it brings out our security. It says you're hidden in Christ. With Christ in God. You've come to faith in Jesus. You're hidden in God. Think about the scripture that talks about being in His hand. And no one can snatch you out. And no, you can't jump out. Silliness. I can overcome the Almighty God by the power of my little old wimpy free will. Please. If you know Jesus, it's because He worked grace in you and He brought you to faith in Him and He will keep you to the end. Believe it or not, it's true. But you're secure. You're hidden with Christ on the throne in heaven with God. You couldn't be more secure than there. Remember as a child, you know, growing up and a lot of the security you had, if you had it, and hopefully you had good parents, was being in the house with your parents, knowing that they loved you and would care for you and would protect you. But even if they didn't, He will. You're secure hidden in Christ in the heavenly places. Now watch. We, well, let me, let me read a scripture or two before we do that. You are seated with Him. You're in union with Him. You couldn't get more secure, so trust Him. Don't trust your feelings or your circumstances or your nephew or your brothers or your sisters or your, if they're against that. Trust Him. Look, Ephesians, when I talked about Him bragging on us, Ephesians 2, 4-6, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, stop. If you are in Christ, you are and have been greatly loved. He set His love on you before the foundation of the world and played that out and applied that in Christ. Look, but God being rich in mercy, it's not just a little mercy that He gives. Riches. Great love with which you are loved. Look, even when we were dead in our trespasses and deserved wrath, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up and seated us with Him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ. And it goes on to say he, we will be trophies, basically, of His grace forever. We're trophies not of our goodness and our attempts, but of His grace if we know Him. And listen, He's, he's, been, he's died, He's paid for our sins, he's, he's been raised, He's ascended, He's seated in the heavenly places, and listen, someday He's coming back. He's coming back whether you believe it or not. Resurrection proves that's true. And if you're, it's a good thing if you're, if you're trusting in Him and waiting on Him, even if you're not fully 100% sure, you don't have a perfect faith, He's coming back for you and it'll be a good thing for you. If you're not trusting in Jesus, it won't be a good thing. It'll be a too late thing and you will have to pay for your own sins. But He's coming again and there's an application for the Christian. Watch this. It's a, this is what has been called and what Scripture calls our blessed hope. The return. How often do you think about Christ coming again? Do you, do you get up every morning thinking about He's coming again? That He's seated for you? That means your redemption is accomplished, that you're hidden in Him? That He has perfected you for all time? Do you get, do, is that a daily mindset? Listen, I'm as convicted as you are. But it's commanded and it's for our good. And, and the rationale is who we are in Christ. Look at this from Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That means Jew and Gentile. Not just one people group. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Notice grace not only reconciles us to God, it trains us to live for God. Now watch. Waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? Nothing here. Nothing on earth. Watch this. The appearing of the glory of our great God. Yes, He's God and man incarnate. God and Savior Jesus Christ. The appearing, His appearing, His return. Predicted in Scripture. Who gave Himself. Look at these gospel riches. Jesus our great God and Savior gave Himself to redeem us from all of our lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. If you're trusting in Christ, you belong to Him, not yourself, who are zealous for good works, works that are empowered by the Spirit, that flow from faith and that are Christ-centered, obedience to His Word out of joy. Now watch back in, in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, now watch this, who is your life, appears. When He returns, He's going to beat you up for a while before He encourages you. Look what it says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. What does that mean? Changed in the twinkling of an eye. Mortality being swallowed up by immortality. New body. Right? Glorified. The process, the work is finished. When He comes, boom, we're changed. And listen, if we die before He comes, yes, the body rests in the grave, but the spirit is set free from sin and no longer experiencing that misery, perfect harmony with God and be with Him until the Lord returns. But notice, when He appears, we'll be like Him. 
See, Paul is not the only one that says this. John says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's our reality. Seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We are God's children now. We are God's children now that we have come to faith in Jesus. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't, we don't have all the details we would want about what that new body's going to be and what that glorified state's going to look like. But we have enough. He says, look at this, but we know, we know, we know that when he appears or returns, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And it goes on to say that those who have such a hope work on being like him, purifying themselves as an outflow of that hope. Well, we're just touching the surface this morning, but we can see that our duty is to have a heavenly mindset. And the basis of our duty is, is, is because of who we are in Christ. That we are hidden in Him and He's our life. And when He appears, we'll be like Him. We are reconciled to Him. We are forgiven and, and redeemed and one in Him. And in His grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. By His grace we believe in Him. And all of these things are true of Him and in Him true of us. So our duty is to have a heavenly mindset. And the basis of our duty is His redemption of us and who we are in Him. How do we cultivate a, a heavenly mindset? We have a responsibility to be always fundamentally thinking about these things, seeking these things, to, have, to be heavenly minded. And we have a responsibility to cultivate that. And that's what you see coming out as you read the rest of the epistle and the, what comes before and those gospel realities and, and after. But we need our think first and fundamentally, in order for our lives to be different, our thinking has to be different. We need our minds transformed. We need our minds marinated. When you marinate food, you're seeking to have that food infused with whatever the marinade is so that it, it changes its flavor and its structure, makes it more tender and more... We, there's something we need to be infused with to have a heavenly mindset. And it's not hidden from us. Look at this. How do, how do we grow in a heavenly mindset? Well, it's the grace of sanctification. It's the grace of growing in grace, God working in us, but He works in us through His Word. See, if we're going to replace an earthly mindset with a heavenly mindset, our minds have to be transformed so that our fundamental reality and presuppositions, our basic mindset is a gospel mindset and not a worldly mindset. How does that happen? Jesus said, very simply, John 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus Christ, having the word of God and the spirit of God, having the gospel so that our hearts are rested in and focused on Christ, we have everything needed to grow in grace. We don't need a new word. There is not a new word. There's no more direct revelation being given, no matter what. Some of these people say, complete, 
sufficient, authoritative, the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. That's where we look. Romans 12. Think about this. I always encourage you to read Romans. After all of the mercies of God are explained, Jew and Gentile, gospel, justification, sanctification, all of that. Paul says this in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, to be heavenly minded. (laughs) To be gospel minded. By the mercy, he's appealing by the mercies of God. Everything he said before in the book. You can't just yank this out of context. You've got to know what he said about the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. What is our responsibility? To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable response, your service. Because you have the gospel and because you've come to faith in Christ, you now have a responsibility to be a living sacrifice. And that starts in the mind. Watch where he goes. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As the Word transforms our mind, it thus transforms our life. Continual repentance is the flavor of Christianity. And then the life change is the fruits of that repentance and God working in us. Our minds must be conformed. Now, when he says, do not be conformed to this world, you could flip it and say, be conformed to that world. Heavenly reality, what we've been talking about. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect. Knowing Him through His Word. Knowing these realities through His Word. See, many of us are being conformed to this world. We are. We're thinking like the world and primarily about the world. We are rarely thinking about who we are in Christ and who He is for us. I mean, I strive to remind you to recalibrate you to truth. Have God do that through the preaching of His Word on the Lord's Day. It should be everyday mental reality, heart reality. But many of us, at least what comes out of us, seems like we're all about here and now. It's what we talk about. We think like the world and about the world. And therefore, we're not at peace. We're not walking with joy. We're not living above the assault of this life. Because we're focused here. We're focused here. We need to repent of that. We're commanded to. Some of us love church and love being with people and tip God once a week with our blessed attendance. But the rest of the week, if a private investigator was following you around, would he find evidence that you're following Christ? Would your social media testify to the fact that you're primarily, first and foremost, a follower of Christ? Is the gospel on your feed? It's convicting, I know. 
Some of us know Him and we've just gotten taken captive by the things of this world and forgotten who we are and what the heavenly realities are. But listen, I don't want to comfort you this morning if you don't know Jesus. I want you to come to know Jesus. And if Jesus knows you and if Jesus is in you by His Spirit, there'll be fruit in your life that you love Him and that He's the one you're living for. Listen, if you don't love His Word, if you have no time for Him, if you have no time for His Word, you probably don't know Him. Because the Spirit works those appetites in our hearts. That's one of the amazing things that I remember about coming to Christ. I mean, I was as worldly, I'll leave it there, as you can get. And when God brought me to faith, and I didn't even really understand what was going on at the time, I remember suddenly I wanted to know who he was. I wanted to know his word. I was, Cindy and I were talking about the Bible. And if you knew us back then before Christ, that would have been odd. In fact, our friends thought we went crazy. See, before sanctification comes justification, comes a true coming to faith in Christ and embracing him in all that he is. Master, Lord, Savior, yes. But the gospel should produce in our heart a love for Him. Man, when, listen, when we really believe the gospel that Christ, God and man, the Messiah, the Savior, came and died to pay the penalty for our sin, that He took the curse that was due us, and in Him we died and we're hidden and we're secure and we're forgiven, we're clothed in His righteousness because He came to save us and lived and died and was raised and is reigning for us. We have eternal life. If that doesn't produce love for Christ in our hearts, we don't know Him. Do you really believe the gospel? And I know many of you do. Listen, I was one of those tender-hearted Christians who struggled with his assurance and a message. Somebody saying something like I just said would knock me off the rails. But you have to risk it because a lot of people are going to stand before Jesus on that final day and hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. Search your heart. Ask God to search your heart as to whether you really know Jesus. Could you be convicted of following him? If people... Watch your life and read your social media and all that. Would they see a Christ follower? Or are you more concerned about the things of this world? Now, again, it might be because you're a believer who's gotten off track. It might be because you're an unbeliever. But the answer for all that is the same. It's the gospel. What produces love in our hearts? The law? You know, no. The law shows us our sin and misery before it does anything else and shows us that we need mercy. And the fact that Christ has died for us and been raised from the grave and gives us salvation as a free gift. We need that reality every day. And to remember that He's seated for us and we're seated in Him and that we've died and we're hidden and He's our life. And when He returns, I mean, all of these realities. Christ lived for the fulfillment of all righteousness He deserved only blessing, but 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day. And He is reigning now. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift. Do you have it? Are you really hoping in Christ and in Christ alone? 
And out of joyful devotion to him, gratitude for his salvation, love for him produced by the gospel, are you growing in living for him? And listen, you'll only grow in living for him if you have this heavenly mindset and to the extent that you have this heavenly mindset. See, whether you know him or you don't, or many, many think they know him. And, you know, there's a lot of testimonies in the church. And we have some in Grace Church of people who lived a lot of years of their life thinking they were Christians. And then they came to that point where they saw their sin and misery and their need of a Savior and really came to Christ. Some were converted as children and don't even remember that. And, yes, have gone through many struggles, but pushed to the wall. They're trusting in Christ. You know, I, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We can't hope in ourselves. But is your hope in Jesus. If it is, read this again. Recalibrate on the truth and therefore flowing out of the change of mind, the life will change so that Christ becomes the fundamental thing, the mindset in which we lived. See, if you really believe the gospel and rest in His grace, you will be growingly focused on Christ growingly in love with Him through His Word, knowing Him better, and the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ will develop in you a growing resurrection mindset. So just from this, you can see the real danger for us this morning is, is, is that we be so earthly-minded, we're no heavenly good. That's the real danger. And the goal of the gospel is that we would be so heavenly-minded that we are heavenly good for His kingdom on this earth, for His sake and the sake of the gospel. By His grace, focus on your Savior. Recalibrate on your Savior. Do some thinking after you hear this sermon and praying and searching through the Word. Ask, be bold enough to ask yourself and ask your God, do I know you? Focus on your Savior and His salvation and joyfully live for Him because He has died for you and you have therefore died in Him and been raised to newness of life. He is reigning for us and He will return someday for us. And until then, we're growing in the grace of having a heavenly mindset and flowing out of that. Our fundamental reality is Christ. Our, and Going out of that is a growing life lived for Him. I want to read this passage and I'm done. I'll read it again. If then or since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hands of God. Remember that's continually seeking. Set your minds. Be continually thinking on the things that are above. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. We know the, the reality of the fact that, that none of us are glorified yet. That those of us who hope in you, we can be sidetracked. We can be... We can lose our focus. And I pray for every Christian listening to this. Maybe they'll even be offended at first. But the, 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 the outflowing of it would be a refocusing on you and the realities, the gospel realities 
that are ours in Christ, who you are and who you are for us, who we are in you. We have died with you, been buried with you, and raised from the grave to newness of life. We are empowered by you and guarded by you. So not that we might never hurt, but that we might live for you in the midst of hurt and be light and salt for you. Lord, please recalibrate us. Please revive us. Please help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Lord, as those who don't know you this morning, I pray that your work of conviction is underway, that they might come to faith in Jesus. Maybe some have been in church all of their life, been taking you for granted all of their life. But as the onion is peeled back, maybe they see that they're really primarily living for the here and now and using you for that. Whatever the reality is, Lord, bring those to faith who don't know you and grow us in grace who do know you and help us to believe every gospel reality you say is true. That Christ is seated for us because our redemption is complete in him. That we have died with Christ and we are hidden with Christ, that we are trophies of your grace, empowered by your spirit, and that we are a people of your word. You have put a love in our hearts for your word so that our minds are transformed and therefore our lives are transformed to be growingly able to say with conviction and it be a reality that to live is Christ and to die is gain. May we be joyfully on mission for you. Save and sanctify your people. We give you all praise for your glorious work of grace. In Jesus' holy name I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.